Hey everyone, welcome to K Koji Podcast. How's it going, K? I'm doing good, Koji. It's been a while since we last connected, hasn't it? Yeah, it has、uh, definitely for over a year and a half, maybe. Yeah, just for some context here, Koji and I have been friends for probably five, six years now. Is that? Oh no, I think even more.、Uh, maybe twelve years. Twelve years. Okay. I think we met in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Okay, so that goes to show how old we are, <laughs> moving forward、uh, from this. But、uh, yeah, yeah, it's what's you know what's really happening because you know I think we both met each other in Canada, right?、Um, mm-hmm. And、uh, from my understanding, in your hometown, yeah, exactly. And、mm-hmm. you know, you're you were an international student、uh, from Japan coming into Canada. Yes, and. I'm a Canadian, so what's going on in like Japan these days? Because there's not really too much that I hear about Japan. Yeah, so you know, in Japan,、uh, I mean, actually, overall, you know, I haven't been able to see you because last time I was in Canada was、uh, before COVID, and traveling has been quite difficult.、Uh, in Japan,、uh, you know, we are seeing some. Pretty bizarre、uh, news recently,、uh, including、uh, you know something I I heard、uh, or I read on the internet.、Uh, they're going to ban the consumption of、uh, marijuana in Japan. Oh, in Japan, but like to begin with, like isn't marijuana or cannabis already banned in Japan to begin with? Yeah,、uh, it is already illegal in Japan, but、uh, consumption of cannabis was never illegalized.、Uh, and carry and the distribution that was、uh, that was illegal. So. Consumption never was really illegal, and and the reason why the consumption of marijuana was never illegal was because、uh, apparently under under government restrictions there are some farmers、uh, farming cannabis, and they are worried that those farmers you know during the during the course of、uh, their production activities、uh, somehow inhale the smoke of、uh, cannabis stems or leaves and may test、uh, positive for a drug test. So they never really made con- consumption of cannabis illegal. So you know you basically go to jail. You get arrested for sure when you caught with distribution or possession of、uh, the the drug. But when you actually have test positive for the drug test, at this point at least, it's uh it's not uh, subject to、uh, arrest. Okay, so so let me get this straight. So t- for to begin with, actually cannabis was never really illegal.、Um, And they had really no way of tracking of it. How, <laughs> how, how, how do are they not able to track that? And how, like, I don't understand. Like, that's such a. If it's already part of the it's Japanese, it's super cult- illegal. I mean, it sounds like it's already historically part of Japanese culture to begin with. No, th- that's why. That's why they never、uh, completely stopped the farming, etc. Because、uh, it only became illegal、uh, during the the American、uh, occupation、uh, after the World War Two. So it it came with the American、uh, prohibition of、uh, cannabis. That's so weird because over here in Canada, right? This is, it's now for the most part relatively okay for you to have cannabis, right? Is it is it illegal? Is it illegal to?、Uh... No, it, it is it is legal today、um, because you can get cannabis products、uh, like edibles, and you can、okay. get like all these other types of. Oils and you know vapes and like loose leaf you know products, 
um, locally at stores and they're everywhere. They're like, uh, there is as, especially in where I am in Canada, it's, I guess every second like block, it's kind of like a Starbucks now. <laughs> like every second block, there's like a cannabis store. And so it's like just grabbing like a, like a, like a coffee is, is effectively what it's like now in Canada today. Uh, some of the laws vary from province to province, but for the most part, it's readily available. It's very easy to access. Um, you just have to show government ID. So can you get can you get your cannabis in uh, tall venti? <laughs> uh, probably not. I don't think they have defined exactly those types of like sizes. It was <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I don't know what that would really look like. But they do they do have like their strengths, right? They will talk about hey, this is the strain and this is the type, and you know this is how it will affect you. So it's gotten a lot more complex in terms of. Um, the profile of what you can purchase you know uh so actually i just wanted to open up with a with a topic on weed because you know i want to talk about another way uh, of japanese people getting high uh in japan but this one is legal um, so sauna okay so like what kind of sauna are we talking about because in asia there's a whole bunch of different types of saunas right and then over in the west in canada and the u.s they have their own types of like sauna and then you've got like the European style saunas and you've got Russian style st- saunas, right? So I'd love to know like what you mean by sauna. <laughs> um, so in, in Japan, we have a big bath culture, right? So, you know, no matter if you're, if your friend, your dad, your, your brother-in-law, whoever, you, you just gather around people and go take a bath together in a public bath. That's, that's a big thing in Japan. And in in, Jap- in Japanese, there's there's a phrase uh, called a bond. Uh, you know, hadaka no tsukiai. It just means it just means a relationship uh, between naked people. It, it just means nothing sexual. It means nothing sexual, but it just shows the closeness uh, of someone to the other person uh, for being able to you know hang around naked uh, together. So you know that just shows how big the bath culture is here. So you find, you know, just like the weed shops in, in Canada, you find uh, bathhouses everywhere in Japan. And you also find sauna shops too. So you go there, they basically have a big bath uh, with, with many showers uh, right next to each other and all the setup like shampoo, body wash, etc. So you first go in, uh, you know, rinse yourself and then you soak yourself in the bath. And with the, with the big bath, they usually have a sauna and a water bath so like icy cold water super cold they yet they actually use a facility called a chiller to cool down the water because japan in the summer especially even if you you know open a water uh, open the water tap the water is not so cold so they need to make it colder so the water temperature is around you know 10 15 degrees it's pretty cold and inside the sauna it's 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 usually 80 90 degrees it's pretty hot I would say, and I think it's a it's a Finnish style, so it's Finland style uh, sauna usually. And I'm not sure if you have tried it, but you go into sauna and you know you stay for you know seven eight minutes, and then you go straight into the icy cold bath uh, for one two minutes, and then you come out, uh, you get this sense of euphoria uh, running through your head, and it's almost like a legal high uh, and 
No, I'm serious. And Japanese people are getting pretty addicted to it, especially starting with the younger generations. They, um, they call the they call the sensation totono. Totono means to to have yourself sorted in Japanese. So you get sorted <laughs> by going to sauna and taking a cold bath. So what really happens is that I think your your blood vessels like really open up uh, when you're in the hot hot sauna. But when you jump into the bath, a cold bath, it really closes the blood vessel all this like very suddenly. Uh, sound like a good cause for a stroke, but uh, that also causes your <laughs> that also causes your you know blood vessels in your brains to close up quickly, and that that really makes you almost almost uh, hallucinate, um, and it's, it's a great so, sensation. Yeah. So in in Canada. Mm-hmm. We we don't have a sauna dealer, okay? We don't have a guy <laughs> walk around the street and say, "Hey, do you want to get high in my sauna?" <laughs> like, usually they'll just give you like a product, right, to to help you with that. That so I have been to a sauna and I I have been to that that exact type of like experience before. And I can say from my perspective that it's. It's super hot and it feels everything feels like you're you're like sweating like crazy. You're sweating and from you've... everywhere, yeah, like every it's... place imagine except for your eyeballs, probably. Yeah, yeah, and like when you jump into that that cold water afterwards, yeah, you feel that relief, right? So I can yeah. I can see how they get that uh, that euphoria. Is that like, do they know like what kind of chemical gets released from the brain that causes that? Uh, I'm not sure, but. I mean, I, I've tried it a few times and, you know, I feel like I'm going to fucking die when I when I jump in the cold water. But then but then when, when I come out of it, like it's so cold, your your hands and feet start hurting. Um, but when you come out of it, it's uh, it's just super relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we, we have something, you know, there's like a ton of like examples of those types of things like all across Asia, right? Yeah. So in Korea, they've got this like kind of a sauna thing. It's called a jinjilbang. It's like mm-hmm. a little house. And they've got like all these tiny little like, like little like areas that have different degrees of temperature specifically mm-hmm. designed to boil you alive. <laughs> <laughs> and they're hot. Like there's like di- various degrees and um yeah they it, but it's not like a, a sauna where you're like actually like naked right it's more of like yeah you've got a shirt you've got like some like shorts um and you go in there and yeah you know you you sweat it out but definitely they don't have the spiritual bond of nakedness um, okay so you you, <laughs> and, you wear your clothes going in yeah okay yeah, yeah. and and that's like the really most interesting thing right it's that like whenever i ever run into um anyone from like the US or Canada and I take them to, or I've been with them in Japan or taken to a, to an onsen, right? And you'll see that they're either wearing like swim trunks um, or they'll have like a towel wrapped around. And then, you know, if they've never been there before, they'll just see me butt naked and they'll be like, why are you naked? <laughs> well, I'm just like, that's the culture. You're supposed to not <laughs> wear that, right? And they look really uncomfortable. but but you know actually it's 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 uh i give them a lot of props when 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 there's like a westerner in a japanese onsen acting completely uh 
fine. And, you know, doing the same exact thing as a, as a Japanese person does, I get pretty impressed. Yeah. But, you know, I think there, there is a certain insecurity about uh, getting naked in front of others in the, in the Western society, I think, a little bit more. Yeah, it, it doesn't, like, mean anything, like, it, there's no, like, sexual context around that. I, and then, no. And from my understanding, I, at least I know in, um, on the Korean side, uh, especially for the, the reasons why they go to, like, these saunas, right? Uh, or not necessarily jimjilbang, but, like, traditional saunas that you'd find here in the West. Um, it was mostly because the gangsters there, when they wanted to have a meeting, uh, in order to see that you're not carrying weapons, that's the reason why gangsters would go to saunas to have meetings with like the the opponent, like the, the opposition gangster uh, <laughs> over there. I, I wonder oh, yeah. if that's the same like mindset with like like yakuza, like with with like yeah. saunas and so, stuff like that. So what's interesting was that I think saunas uh, in Japan used to be like a big yakuza hangout places, and so they have like um, like a like an organization for for sauna, uh, you know, sauna onsens. Uh, and if you're a, and, and that's that's one of the reasons why why Japanese onsens and, and sauna places, many of them do ban uh, tattooed individuals. And that, that is because they used to be used uh, as, and it's, it's an easy place to show and intimidate other people with their, yakuza tattoos right because traditionally only yakuza's used to have tattoos in japan but you know if you really want to if you really want to catch a yakuza you just gotta go to a sauna place where they where they're not part of the the organization um the industry industry group and and where they allow tattoos i think you i'm pretty sure you can catch a yakuza or two pretty easily a lot of folks in the West don't really understand when they have like a tattoo and then they get rejected from that place mm. is because like traditionally in Asian culture, if they see a tattoo, they just don't want these like, you know, people that are traditionally associated with tattoos um, mm -hmm. to go in their premise, right? Especially if it is more yeah. of like a tourist destination um, or there's like other families there, like they don't really... Um, they don't really yeah, encounter they, they, enough foreigners yeah. to understand mm -hmm. that some tattoos, right, that are on, you know, their body doesn't represent being part of a gang, right? It's more of like, I like, there's legitimate reasons, right, to have a tattoo, mm -hmm. which is either, like, I've seen some reasons, which is to hide, like, a scar, right, from, like, mm -hmm. an injury, right? Mm -hmm. I see that really common. Another way is just to represent yourself, right? Just to see, like, anything yep. that happened in your life, I always see folks. Your, your family member yeah. or something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I guess there, that stigma continues to mm. exist um, more more traditionally with older Asians, I think. Oh, yes, yes. I think the younger um, folks in Asia that are younger today are more accepting of tattoos, right? I, I would probably say mm -hmm. that probably mm -hmm. a fair statement to make, but you probably won't see them, folks with tattoos in more traditional jobs in Asia would probably be the no. correct way to say that, right? Um, yeah. So there's still some stigma there. But, uh, you know, speaking about, like, some, like, interesting things that are, you know, bands or whatnot, you know, something maybe more familiar with everyone is maybe drinking culture, right? Um, oh, yes. Asian drinking culture, or at least drinking culture in Japan, <laughs> is, 
it's quite particular yeah it's yeah it's, it's quite particular yes and and definitely drinking culture in canada or in the u.s is also very different between the two countries as a whole like mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and it also depends on which province or state you're in and how you know, they I drink. Think that alcohol makes up uh, a whole social uh context uh in japan and you know you you, you basically cannot uh it's it's very difficult to to live your life without drinking in Japan. Uh, your your opportunity to drink is everywhere. Uh, so I have a friend who who did not drink for a whole year since uh, since a year ago, and I just find it very 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 amazing how she managed to do that. Because you know if yes, it's 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 not impossible. Of course, you're making your uh, decision to not to drink, but when when you're out. With your friends, the opportunity to drink is anywhere. You can drink in the park. You can drink walking down the street, but it's it's just part of part of the so much uh, part of the culture that uh, let's say you go into a restaurant for for a nice dinner and they they ask you for your drink right away and it's almost considered uh, strange, uh, you know, amongst your friends to not order a drink. If you don't order a drink, if you drink tea. Let's say you order tea when you when you when you when you get a seat at the restaurant, they ask you know, hey, what's wrong? Do you have a health checkup coming up tomorrow? Because that's like the only time you would go out with your friends and not not get a drink. This is for medical reasons. So that's that's really, you know, I think I feel like that's really the culture here, and that's 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 very very different. But you know, maybe maybe that is that is attributable to the fact that there there are no other options. Uh, you know, such as, such as you know, can consumption of cannabis, especially if you're over here as a student and you're drinking. Um, that student drinking culture is everywhere, um, and whether that or not that's like in the U.S. or Canada. And you know, if you ha- are part of like post uh, post secondary education system where you know hazing exists, right? And then like mm-hmm. everyone's just like having parties. Uh, that social drinking pressure is everywhere. But I feel that, or at least from what I'm seeing, is that in Canada and the U.S., the it, it peaks after a bit. Like, after, like, your university stage, that continuous drinking culture kind of slows down a lot more. But in Asia, and especially in Japan, if you're drinking all the time, no matter what stage of your life you're in, right? Whether whether it's yeah. like, you know, you're in your university um, or if you are now past university and you're in the, the job market and you are working at a company, you're always forced to drink. Like your, your day of working, typically in Asia, doesn't end, for, doesn't start at nine and it doesn't end at five, right? It continues <laughs> for like another like two or three hours of socializing and drinking and if you don't drink and socialize it really closes down a lot of the opportunities that you have oh yes for as sure, a result sure. of that and like that's at least that's what i'm seeing when i'm there and so if you don't drink out you're the odd weird person out right and that i feel that particular behavior is probably the most egregious not like what you're doing in your you know university life because that's you're still exploring right and like you're gonna get caught up in a bunch of things trying to try new things but once you become an adult right and you can start making your own decision that that culture of pressure 
And the fact that if you don't drink with specific individuals or you don't engage with certain activities that you don't necessarily agree with, um, that they will stop you from being able to progress your career or get that promotion that you want or just become part of social circles that you would really like to have access to because you know you're not drinking right yeah it's i think yeah it gives you the extra extra mile uh drinking drinking with somebody gives you the extra mile um you know when it comes to career development that's for sure uh there's there's a there's a there's a word um it's called nomination so nomu is to drink and it's it's like a it's like a combined word uh, to drink and to communicate so you know communicating over drinking is a specific form of you know communication or bond building uh to you know especially in 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 the workplace to smooth things out after five and people don't work until five it's it's usually later but God, yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like in the yeah. traditional sense, it's like in the West, we're used to nine to five. Or um, maybe mm-hmm. if you're part of a, you know, a more hardcore company, then maybe it extends a little further. But it's very unlikely that you go do the whole like nine to nine, 12 hour shift, right? In But, um, but mm-hmm. whereas in Asia, it's like, yeah, you do your 12 hour shift, plus you put a bit more um, because you have to spend the extra time going out with the boss or going out with the, the rest yeah. of the team to have that drink and <laughs> yeah you know actually actually i just have a few stories to tell about on that uh, because i had uh i i did start out working for a very very traditional japanese company when i when i when i finished off my education and my boss used to always tell me you know drinking is part of your work so when when like uh when when there was uh, like the general manager of the department uh, wanted to go for a drink with let's say youngsters like myself, um, my boss, my direct boss, my manager would tell me to just you know no matter what you're doing for work right now just leave um, so that you can you can accommodate the guy and uh, it's 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 as important as your as your real job so you know that's the kind of mindset and the culture yeah you could, could really define your career I think in that sense because if if let's say I did not show up to that. You know, the general manager somehow, you know, didn't like me as much as my other colleagues. Then, you know, many times for my evaluation or when he's trying to give me a promotion or a new opportunity, you know, he might he might just do 80% of what he could do. Whereas if you actually showed up to the drinking, entertained him, etc., and he likes you 120%, maybe he puts in that 120% of the efforts right to try to place you to a better position yeah yeah i think it just goes to show like uh some folks feel that like in japan you know people really keep to themselves and they're quiet but in reality um i think the social norms that we're seeing is more along the lines of the only time it feels like when i talk to um some of the folks including yourself that, that work in japan today um, the only time it's it's important to socialize is if it gets some if it if something comes out of it for me. That's what it really feels like, um, at, at least uh, on the on the business side or the in work, a, in work a, environment. Yeah, on the business yeah. setting. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you do go out with your colleagues. Uh, you know, if you like them, that's 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 for sure. But yeah, there many times it's it's with intention. Drinking culture is maybe like the part that that's really cantankerous, really in in a lot of spaces mm-hmm. because 
it's really hard to identify when is it safe for you to stop drinking when you get a lot of pressure from all these different people or all these different areas telling you to drink. And if you're not that great of a drinker, well, then you look weak, mm. right? <laughs> to to, to yep. the boss, right? If you yep. can't drink. So it's, yeah, there's some things that was like, that really like stood out to me when I was in, in Asia broadly. And it's not just strictly to Japan. I mean, I don't want to get people mm. thinking that, oh, it's just Japan that has this, you know, forced drinking socialization problem. It's, it is all of Asia that this exists today. Um, yeah, for sure. And I, I think I think Chinese Chinese people do they do it pretty bad. Oh too. yeah, and uh, Koreans <laughs> and you know it's like they they have a very deep yeah. ingrained drinking culture, and I think mm-hmm. part of that is the results, the long lasting like health yeah. <laughs> problems. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 built on a sacrifice. Yeah. So I think moral of the story here is like tone down the drinking <laughs> just a little bit, <laughs> please, because. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, there's only so much we should be really drinking in order for us to be, like, a little bit healthier. Yeah, I mean, I think I think COVID, COVID, people are starting to, you know, realize all the bars closed. And without, you know, going out for drinks, they get to spend more time with their families. And they're and no need to commute to the office, etc. Their life was somehow better. And really not waste so much money and time on, on drinking outside. Yeah. Is that like the, so you feel that the result of COVID has forced a lot of folks in Japan to look at their life and reevaluate what's happening? Is that oh, what you're Oh, yes, for sure. Them? I mean, a lot of, a lot of Japanese folks, uh, they, you know, first, you know, health is important. Second, don't need to spend so much time working to actually get the job done. You know, like all the meetings, all the physical presence, it's not necessary. And, you know, I think, I think it's, Japanese people are becoming more rational in that sense. Uh, you know, when they choose their career, when they when they choose the way they work, a lot of people are purchasing uh, houses outside. You know, outside in the in the outside skirts of Tokyo nowadays because because they realize the quality of life is better uh, in, more in the suburbs than in the city. Convenience is not everything, and I think teleworking uh, during COVID made that possible. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and like. I think out of all the the types of bureaucracy you have to go to, <laughs> Japan has, seems to have the worst oh, yeah, bureaucracy sure. when it comes to like changing things. We're going to go and have everyone work from home and you're going to set that up. And then you'll have everyone in Japan just look at you funny and say like, no, that's not that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like that doesn't click, right? That doesn't click to them. Like the, the company I worked for, like did that right away. The, the work we do doesn't require us to interact with people face to face. A lot of it can be done digitally. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of it do- is mostly mm-hmm. like all the busy mm-hmm. work, like the, the, the frequent interactions you have with people in an office setting or just like, and, and this is yeah. just strictly speaking from like, uh, the work world so if you are kind of in like a school environment that's a totally different discussion to have right because in a school right the learning that you have in school is not that critical i think because you can learn a lot of what you're learning in school today online and all you're doing is you're learning and you're meeting your friends over online it's like where does the where does your growth come from right as a human being like what usually your interactions with your friends on the daily basis, working on problems together in the school setting is where you get the most amount of value in the school system, right? 
But in a workplace environment where you've already kind of developed those social skills, that's not too important, mm-hmm. right? A lot of it is more no, like it's not. It's not too yeah, important. Yeah, I find like wh- just getting the getting the job. Yeah, back it's now. more of like how do I become more efficient? How do we reduce the number of meetings we're having because there's way too many? Mm-hmm. And how do we make sure we mm-hmm. get the job done? Because once I'm done, I'm out of here, right? I want to go hit the gym. I want to go for my run. Um, I want to go and do some other things that are productive um, that I think will help improve my lifestyle because I don't have to interact with that. I've got another life, you know, outside of work. How is that like kind of affecting um, kids today in in Japan from where you're seeing things? Because I'm seeing that having a huge problem in Canada here for kids. So are they are they are the kids are the kids not going to school at all in Canada? Or? So they are going to school. The problem is that they don't have enough things to do. They have too much free time, right? That's the biggest problem right now. So so think about it this way. Like if you are like, you know, 14 um, or just like you just hit or 12 years old, between the ages of 12 to 18, can you imagine like if you think back to that age as a kid, what were you doing as a kid, right? Like, what was the things that you were doing during that time of your life? Well, I was just doing whatever all the time, you know. It's uh, talking, hanging out with friends all the time, actually. Like baseball practice in the morning or something. Yeah, so like like, like if I if you joined like a sports club, right, then you would, like for me, I would wake up 6 a.m. in the morning, go to my basketball stuff and, you know, do whatever I needed to do for, for, for the next, you know, competition that we would have. So there was always something to do to keep your brain and your body active and moving and focused, right? But in this situation today that we're having where you're all masked up, you can't really go anywhere, um, if you're trying to go to a school setting, they wall you off yeah. <laughs> like you're in yeah. a gigantic bubble, like you're in a jail, right? And you just feel like, oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine what that's like. It's like is that like, yeah. oh, it's, it's, you feel like yeah. you're being jailed, right? You feel like sure. and you're in, stuck in Japan, in actually, uh, the kids are, I think, they're take, depending, on the, depending on the area you live in, but kids are taking turns going to school. So, you know, they're doing part-time working, I mean, studying from home and part-time actually commuting to the to go to school but you know i think it's especially for little kids they don't get to spend as much time with the with the friends it, i think it's very very tough and not only for for the reasons of you know their their personal developments but also for them to be able to you know build meaningful connections with others because a lot of you know good friendship or value of friendship or your ability to build meaningful connections with people you know, it's 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 uh, it's something you work on uh, throughout your life. But um, you know, something some of the first friendships I had uh, were from my elementary school days, or you know, my my middle school, high school days. So I think it really and you know, Kay, uh, I know some of your friends that are from high school that you hung out during your high school years that you're still friends with. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've all the activity that you did because you also came over to Canada, right? As a foreign exchange student, your interactions, just being able to move globally, especially if you are an expat or you go to these foreign countries to learn another language, like that's super important. Like there's only, you can't learn very effectively, especially on the language side of things through an app, right? That's literally impossible. Oh yes, for sure. No, and, and you know, you can't you can also learn a learn new, new language over uh, Skype. Yeah, you have to use it with someone, right, in front of you because you can feel that it's being be there, yeah. useful, right? You can feel that, oh, there's there's something happening. There, there's that flow that's happening between a conversation 
when your child learns a new language. Going to school and getting the lectures done, it's, it's just one aspect of your life uh, as a child and growing up. Having been doing all of the you know, extracurricular activities and, and with your friends, because I remember I had so much energy when I was uh, when I was in my, you know, when I was a teenager, right? That's, that's when you have the energy to do whatever you want. And, you know, I feel like all of that energy, uh, it's got to go somewhere. And I'm not sure where that's going. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is, yeah. So it's just one of like the really crappy things that's really happened in because of these lockdowns. I mean, I mean, those kids are probably pretty frustrated to themselves. I mean, they may not notice it, but they are probably like deep down uh, pretty frustrated with the situation. Uh, they need to release it. Yeah, definitely. And then the only thing that they can really interact with is either their laptop or like their phone right which is connected to the internet if that's like your only source of like interaction with people it's like that's got to be really like yeah you know you know i was i was uh you know in my in my teenage years i was on msn messenger a lot uh and that was that was okay you know it's it's hooked to a computer but it's okay because it was it was just to substitute the real interactions i have at school Uh, so you know I, i talk to my friends during the day at school and then at nighttime, I talk to them uh, on MSN messengers. It's just, it's just a, it's just a little, um, you know, plugin to, to enhance my uh, social social life. Uh, whereas you know, all all these kids have now is just a, just an online interaction, so they don't get to meet their friends. So. <laughs> MSN messenger. Oh my god! Do you remember God, the function so like <laughs> shake? Do you remember the shake function? You can only send it like I once do, or twice, I do. and like they stop you. From sending you like multiple shakes. I know. Yeah. Oh man. But MSN it Messenger was, so was the time though. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I had so much fun uh, talking on that thing. MSN was definitely a big one. Uh, and then there was like stuff like ICQ was another really big one. <laughs> Just like, like so many of these different like messaging apps that we grew up with that has now kind of been overtaken by these like mobile phone apps, right? Uh, or things like Facebook and like Twitter and you know WhatsApp and Snapchat and all these other like and, and like you know if we expand it even further to you know Asian culture we've got like WeChat and Kakao Talk and um, Line like this like all these the way more advanced applications but it also like feels like there's a lot more in these apps than what we kind of used when we were younger. Right, I feel like all the functions and oh no, yeah, the stuff, it's, it's, like... it's amazing how there is a you know video calling on everything, man. I can video call you, you know, over, you know, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, WhatsApp, you know, Signal, whatever. You know, I can I can use any anything to video call you nowadays. It's crazy. I have a feeling that some of these tools that we have in our messaging systems are too much. Hmm. Right, because I can't imagine what what stupid things I would do if I had a messaging app that was like, let's say, MSN Messenger had the ability to record, yep. you know, my video, and I could upload files, mm. and it was in my pocket every day when I'm a kid, and I could run around with that. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. I have no idea what I would do because I've never had that tool, and like, yeah, it's just it's just like some of the things that you're starting to see pop up on these like social networks or social tools 
are starting to get. No, there's there's a risk. There's a risk of you doing stupid shit, right? Yeah, there's <laughs> getting caught doing stupid there's shit. There's a ton and, of risk. And and the consequences, the consequences you face nowadays is far more significant because of the abundance of you know social networking and the rate of news spreading, right? So if you if you do something stupid and you go viral, then it's it's the end. It's it's the end of it. It could it could be the end of your life, right? The consequences are huge. Yeah, and it's like really really like like dumb like the, the the greatest and the greatest app today is like what tiktok that's that's what um you know is has probably the most amount of people using and following um have you ever heard of licks before no what is it like a lick so so like i was going through like the the socials you know the tools because you know i i, I kind of want to stay up to date with what's going on and there's this like trending hashtag called licks and so you've got these like kids or adults or whoever it is that's kind of like being influenced by this like this content going around and saying oh i licked this and what that means is someone would go somewhere and they would steal something and they would call it a lick so they were like hey man i just like licked this toilet right and, and you see a toilet is totally gone from from a toilet stall and that's a huge commitment yeah. stealing a whole toilet yeah and then recording it and then putting it on social media and then have that trend so that hundreds of thousands if not millions of people see that and when you when you have someone be able to put that on a platform not only is that like super dumb to be able to do that because you're incriminating yourself as a criminal stealing a toilet (laughs) but also you're showing a bunch of people like hey this let's go steal toilets everyone and so you've got all these other people starting to start stealing things and calling it oh look at this lick that i just did it's just like (laughs) the dumbest thing i've ever seen it's like the lowest level of iq i've ever seen i've never thought that like people would be like that stupid but apparently people are that stupid no i i think i think if you add you know, I, I used to do a whole, a lot of stupid things when I was a kid. But if you add uh, the social element and and its ability to spread, spread it to anyone, you know, virtually anyone in the world, uh, it really has, um, has fuel to the stu- to stupidity and to the degree you would go. Because, you know, if, if it was, if lick was something that was going around in your school, only in your school, uh, I'm not sure, maybe you you start you i feel like you would not reach uh so far as going to you know taking taking out the whole toilet um as as your price and you know the news of you stealing that toilet would never leave you know maybe maybe someone people from from your town would would find out about it but would never leave your town you know your hometown and you, you you move to a bigger city and you, you go look for a job after you after you finish your education, you would probably have no issue finding a job afterwards. But the consequence of stealing a toilet nowadays is, man, let's say, for example, this man licks, licks a toilet and this, this, this whole thing spreads out. And then when he's going to try and find a job and somehow some, someone stumbles upon his old video somewhere on the social media of this guy licking the toilet and and you know you there you go no no more no more uh job for you right no matter how low your iq or you know how high or how low your iq is i think you know the the, the danger of your stupidity 
um, <laughs> spreading and you know being recorded uh, and whatever you post on the internet can last a lifetime so yeah that we never had to face growing up yeah yeah we certainly didn't have to worry about like the things that record stay forever right and it lives with us until we get older and older and then people can pull up that record and say like hey remember back when you were 13 and you stole a toilet bowl <laughs> it's like it's like that was then this is me now it's like i've, I've changed but that will stay, right? And I think yeah, that will that will for sure stay. And then I, I think like when when folks are a lot younger, they they don't realize that implication because they feel that you know they're they're young and they've got like they they feel like you know the world is their oyster and they can you know do everything that they can. Um, and you know they're not necessarily wrong. Um, you know they certainly have control over the future, and mm-hmm. we just but they're just not. You know, at least the ones that get influenced that way, because let, let's, you know, we do want to obviously be fair, like this lick, <laughs> these people doing these like really like not that great things on TikTok and spreading that it's a very small percentage, right? Uh, people that are doing this, but the fact that that tool, that platform TikTok allows you to spread this kind of thing so fast and so quickly to such a large audience I don't know if that is necessarily the fault of the people consuming the content. I think it's the fault of the platform not regulating that content or looking for those contents to make sure whether or not this is considered appropriate or non-appropriate. You think it's you think it's the responsibility of the platform? I do because it enhances the the like it's really hard to say like who's responsible because at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to, you know, go out and have alcohol, right. Mm -hmm. You should be old enough to know that you shouldn't drink too much. Mm -hmm. Right. And that should still should also be applied to social media. Right. Which is if you're using social media, when is it okay for you to, you know, submit and post certain things or look at certain things on your social network. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just those those teachings or like those um, examples. I just don't think that uh, when you give someone very young yeah. a tool like this and then expose them to who knows what kind of content mm-hmm. without any kind of like control mm-hmm. or without any kind of like way to like guide them through mm-hmm. what would be like like normal in society or what would be considered safe for your fellow human being. Mm-hmm. Right. It's I think that should be really important. That should be built into their tool. Right. I think. um, And you know what? If you want to go look at these stupid like, you know, world star videos. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you want to go and and like look at these like toilet bowls licking or stealing uh, videos. By all means, go ahead. But I think there needs to be like when is the what when is it appropriate to have that content? Mm -hmm. And also. You know what age is it appropriate for you to consume do, and engage do you, do with that Do you think content? it could it could also be um, you know integrated into our I don't know a part of part of the socialization of someone? You know I, I'm not sure how sh- how but uh, it could be taught at school or it could be taught at home. It's like a part of because we never had to take into consideration the social aspect of you know the consequences of our actions before, but now we do. You know there are cameras everywhere you know you are able to post anything to everybody 
uh, at the tip of your finger uh, fingers. So, um, so uh, you know what what I'm saying is that could it be just a new aspect? Are we are we well? I'm not sure if we're devolving or evolving, but you know, are we are we facing a new new era where where we need to just learn to you know live with the social? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a the the thing is like I don't know, right? That's that's kind of my answer because you've got the problem of like, hey, we're just you know a tool that we're built to help people connect, right? And we've got all these really great mm-hmm. tools and features and functionality. But then on the other hand, you've got, hey, look at all the bad actors or all the people that are like just doing not great things on this platform. And then you're giving them the ability to spread that to everyone. And you're kind of like mm-hmm. towing the line between freedom of expression, right? Oh, yeah. And then also like if you're restricting them, then you are kind of being like a, <laughs> you know, an authoritarian yeah. regime trying to stop you from using the tools you want. And the problem, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted with that because it's more of like, I like freedom of expression. It should exist. You should definitely be able to have that. But I also feel like there needs to be some controls or at least education in place to help people know that these tools have certain things or attributions to them that can be really detrimental to them long term or even like immediately right really depends on 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 what happens i really think that like we like as a society and you know as we are getting older and we're looking at how folks that are younger than us are engaging with and we're growing up with the progression of this these social tools Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, i think we should you know be really thinking about like how we want to make sure that we're setting up younger folks to be more successful and not get caught in these terrible positions using certain social tools. I think we should have that yeah. education in place, like you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, at the same time, they, you know, I think it's, it's great that social, social platforms, you can really leverage on, you know, on, you know, basically catapulting uh, your, your career as something or, you know, for you to get recognized. If you're doing the right thing, and if you're promoting it for the right reason and you get the right attention, uh, I think it could really help, you know, get the rec- recognition, you know, uh, from from the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, so. social media in general has been really great for, like, social causes, like cleaning up the ocean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being more environmentally conscious, right? There's been, like, a really, like, a, a lot of, like, social issues yeah. that we run into, you know, around, like, you mm-hmm. know racism and you know sexism and and all those like really like really specific areas that haven't really been looked more deeply and you know it's i think we've improved drastically as a result of social media like we're a lot more conscious about those types of topics now and we're thinking deeply and and more and we're thinking about like how do we make that better over a long term and i think social media has done a great job with that it's just it amplifies that, but it also amplifies all the really bad things at the same time. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's 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 a it's a, it's a really really good amplifier. Um, like these days, I'm seeing a lot more um, Asian centric content on you know YouTube, on Facebook, um, on TikTok. Like it's predominantly very like you know Westernized, right? All the content there was like like that. But nowadays, I see like 
a ton of like content related to Japan. I see a ton of content related to China. I see a ton of content related to Korea. And I think that's, that's really awesome. It's really great to see that because that representation is, is really, really good. Because, because it's decentralized. I feel like there was not enough coverage of, you know, Asian cultures uh, before in the, you know, let's say TV as a mainstream media, right? So Yeah, and I, I think it's been really great. I mean, we finally have, you know, a Hollywood-style Asian superhero that's not Bruce Lee, right? Hmm. We've got, hmm. like, the Marvel movie Shang-Chi, right? If you haven't Shang-Chi. watched it yet, go watch yeah. it. It's a great Marvel oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah but you like, watched it? How was it? It was good. It was it was pretty good. Yeah. It was good to see that you know not every superhero has to be you know uh, yeah. you know like a, a Caucasian person. Um, mm-hmm. And you know we saw a great example of that trend with Black Panther, and now we've got yeah. you know Shang Chi, and then we're Shang-Chi probably going to see yeah. way more of this, which is super awesome to see. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, my you know Shang Chi all the way, right? Like yeah. <laughs> feeling that Asian representation there. And yeah, like, you know, yeah. and you, you'll see like all of your, you know, friends that are Asians, like really mm-hmm. represented. They'll, you'll see them on their Instagram being like, yo, we just want to see, you know, Marvel's Shang-Chi and, you know, yeah. it feels good. And, you know, that's one of the really great positives that I was really talking about um, when it comes to social media, just amplifying, like improving the, you know, the relationships, right. Between uh, mm-hmm. a lot of different things between the West and the East and, and, melding them together when when you were like looking at media mm-hmm. maybe like last 10 or 15 years um yeah like for me the only like there, there was only like three people in media that i knew of that was like well represented um growing up and that was like you know bruce lee right jet lee <laughs> mm-hmm. right and like basically any, any of the kung fu style martial yeah. artists yeah yeah right? no that's uh I think I think mostly kung fu, yeah. Yeah, most of it was kung fu, right? And yeah. then like from your oh, point of view, yeah, like what yeah. did you or Jackie Chan, right? That's like another one. Oh yeah, That's Jackie really Chan, yeah, one, right. Yeah, and uh, obviously Jackie Chan being like working with Chris Tucker in Rush Hour was like mm-hmm. was a it. really great film, like really great yeah. movie. Yeah, um, and it really set the stage of like oh, more Asian actors can start getting into into Main, film in Hollywood. Yeah, film, yeah. We don't really see as much of that representation on the Asia side of things, right? Which is interesting, okay. right? Because because you never what like so yeah. so so okay. So Hollywood is slowly starting to catch up, right, with the mm-hmm. idea of oh, we've got you know predominantly Caucasian and predominantly like uh, Black Americans being like really awesome superstar, right? Hollywood, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now we're starting to get more Asian representation. In yeah. Hollywood these days, yeah, but we don't see the opposite happen in Asian countries, where there is actually within Asian media specifically, like within mm. the Asian like version of Hollywood, right? Yeah, like Kadokawa, yeah. right, in Japan yeah. would be yeah. one example, right? Uh, yeah. well, like there isn't a superstar that is not Japanese in TV shows and films, yes, but I I think in I think that's not necessarily the case for anime, but Yes, in in uh, film production and in uh, TV shows, it's 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 pretty rare. There was a there was a drama, Japanese TV drama called Masan, uh, that was made uh, you know several years ago. That was about the founder of Santori Whiskey, 
and how he married to uh, this Japanese. I don't know, so like, uh, was it uh, American? Uh, like a Western lady, uh, and she was the heroine in the in the whole whole TV series. So that was a that was a Western lady uh, as the as one of the main characters. But yeah, besides that, I I just don't see so much of you know a non Asian representation in in uh, in Japanese uh, media production. You know, maybe it's just more costly to hire someone from the Hollywood, or maybe it's it's the it's the language barrier, uh, and you know, not everyone is looking to if you if you want to be an actor, uh, you know, where would you go right to make it big? Because because I think that I think that how how the acting or you know that the kind of entertainment industry is structured is that you only a very 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 small percentage of people succeed. And in order to you know make make it there, you gotta take a take a shot. And people go to let's say Hollywood to take that shot. They wouldn't come to Tokyo to take that shot, I think, to really be become big and successful. So uh, maybe that's why uh, the lack of representation. Yeah, that's true. the The brand is bigger. The um, you know the 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 people that you are you know acting for mm-hmm. is a much larger. Uh, group of people, a more diverse group of people that you can certainly like your your options yeah. are much larger if you do go for Hollywood yeah. over like trying to make it big, you know, internally in the Japanese market, which mm-hmm. is like a lot more challenging. I'd probably say like yeah. the things you mentioned before, like language barrier or you know the culture mm-hmm. there might not be. But you know, exactly actually, I I see. Uh, what's interesting is uh, I see on YouTube. Uh, more and more, uh, you know, non-Japanese people uh, recording uh, videos in Japan and reporting what's going on in Japan. I, I actually quite like it because I think it's a it's a it gives a third-person perspective. And those people like speak in Japanese and they make the channels for Japanese people too. So you know, which I find very very uh, interesting. There's one thing I wanted to like bring up as mm-hmm. well <laughs> that you sent to me a little earlier. Which is around oh, yeah. like how to eat sushi, and yeah, and I'm I'm just wondering why you sent this to me because like I I have a suspicion as to why you sent this topic to me, um, and like maybe maybe you can like tell me a little bit about like why did you send this to me earlier? Because uh, well, I just I just interested. wanted to clarify. Uh, uh, myself a little bit. Uh, it's it's not just about how to eat sushi, but I just wanted to talk about you know how there are many unwritten rules and ways of conducting business in Japan that you probably you know do not you know it's not written on the wall. If nobody tells you this, you just have to like learn it as you grow up. And I think eating sushi is also like eating sushi in a proper Japanese sushi restaurant is also also one uh, one of those things you never you know you need to need to you need to uh, understand before going to to fully um uh, fully enjoy the experience and much much like what i told you earlier uh, going into sauna there are certain rules or procedures that you have to follow uh, to 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 meet the cultural expectations like you can't so they give you a little towel when you go to the hot spring you can never dip it in the in the tub so you need to always so so when you are taking a bath when you're in the bath you put the towel on your head 
and you never let it dip the water somehow. I think it's for san- san- sanitary uh, reasons and, you know, it, stuff like that. And after you bathe, before you go uh, walk out and grab your towel, you need to wipe yourself with that little towel. And then so that so that you're not, you know, you're not basically uh, wetting the whole whole floor after you after you get out. Yeah, I do want to say I do have some pr- problems with that rule. Why don't they just make the damn towel bigger? Because it's not enough. It's no, no, not it's, enough towel to cover my no, no, body. No, no, no. It's, it's not. Yeah. Absorb I understand. Enough water. That, that, that's just a, that, that's, that's the first step of drying. And then when you're like 80% dry so that you're not dripping water all over the floor, then you go to your uh, you know, locker or whatever to grab the, the real towel that you were given. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like those rules need to be really clear. It's like, by the way, this towel is... This <laughs> wipe off a little yeah. bit of the water maybe yeah. cover some of like your your crotch area just you know mm-hmm. make it not too wet right when you get out and then you actually have yeah. a bigger towel you can use yeah. later on but this isn't your only towel right no no they don't yeah and but then they give you dirty eyes if you don't <laughs> <laughs> it's like don't look at me like that you just tell me what i need to do yeah. like like let me know i'm here to yeah. learn right um but yeah, yeah so like then Sorry, sorry to derail you. I just wanted to talk about that towel part. But mm-hmm. uh, with regards to like the sushi, yeah. So so like so like just like just like the sauna, uh, we have you know uh, a certain ways of uh, enjoying uh, eating sushi. So I, I'm talking about I'm I'm strict. There are different kinds of sushi, and there are many casual sushi restaurants uh, in Japan, which you don't really need to worry about anything. Just do whatever you like. But I'm talking strictly about the the more traditional uh, kind of uh, rather fancy omakase style uh, sushi restaurants in Japan. So uh, maybe 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 a lot of you are already familiar with the omakase style because uh, sushi has become a lot more popular uh, globally, but I'm just going to say this for, for all the people. So omakase means, you know, you let the chef do the job. So you, you, don't, you don't order your food, right? So w- once you go in, you're, you're usually you're usually seated at the counter uh, sitting across from the chef uh, in the in the counter so it's like it's like it looks like a bar almost and and the countertop is usually wooden um, and you know you get seated you order your first drink it has to be alcohol <laughs> it doesn't have to be alcohol but in, in many cases I think you would oh and there's also another unwritten rule uh, in the Japanese society uh, of course, you, you're free to break it, but let's say you're, you're going for drinks with a bunch of people and the first drink is almost always a beer. And that's, that's for different reasons. Uh, that's for, that's for, that's for, the, the reason behind it is that you order a beer and, beer, and if, if you order a beer and if everyone in your party orders a beer, it's easier for the restaurant to prepare. It doesn't take as much time. You beer, you just pour. So the, all the drinks come at once and everyone gets to drink at the same time. You can have a toast. So it's more efficient. So, you know, it's, it's almost always when you have like a corporate function or, you know, a dinner with your client, you almost always start off with a beer. Of course, if you don't like beer, nobody's forcing you. At this day and age, but I think, uh, you know, sometime before, you almost always had to drink beer as your first drink. So everyone just somehow orders a beer, no matter if you like it or not. But I always like to start with a beer, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with it anyway. 
Yeah. And you got to start with a beer, and then you, well, you you order your drink, and then the chef starts making you a different things. So when you, when you when you when you go to a proper sushi restaurant, uh, and you do the omakase style, they don't give you, uh, the, the sushi right away, like the rice fish on rice thing right away. They give you a different fish dish, like a seafood dish. So they might give you um, a little bit of sashimi, uh, like, a, or they might give you some some uh, deep fried fish, this and that, and then you 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 eat that as um, as a snack to uh, to drink your to drink your alcohol. Uh, after beer, maybe you can move on to you know highball. You can move on to sake. I think sake is an excellent ex- excellent choice uh, to to drink with a uh, with uh, with raw fish. And just for some like folks sake. to, for some yeah. like, um, for those that aren't familiar with sake and um, haven't been cultured enough in the idea of sake, there's different grades of sake. And from my understanding, um, Daiginjo is the yeah. best. Yeah, Daiginjo is the best. Yeah. So yeah, the different grades of sake is defined by uh, the Polish, uh, Polish level of <laughs> Polish level. How, how much a grain of rice is polished before they are made into sake. So, you know, when when they make sake, they polish the rice, so they're not using the full grain of rice. They're polishing it to 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 basically make the rice thinner. And the reason here is because the more you polish the rice, the sweeter and fruitier the sake, and and the taste more pure. In Daiginjo, they polish the rice uh, the most. I think it's sixty five percent polished. Uh, and then Ginjo, which is the second. Um, second uh most polish it's it's above 50 percent so so you're really taking up more than half of a rice grain to make the rice but you can really actually if you do a taste test you can really taste the difference the daiginjo tastes really pure smells pretty floral almost like banana or pear uh sometimes and it tastes very clear. They they polish that shit so much you can literally see through the grain of rice. That's how much they yeah. they polish yeah, that it's, rice. It's, it, uh, yeah, it's it's actually a lot of rice, I think. But uh, but I think you know you gotta do it for the taste. So daiginjo, uh, you know, as you can imagine, is usually the most uh, expensive type of sake, uh, generally speaking. And Any other recommendations, maybe for some folks here um, that maybe can't. Don't want to pay up or pony up for the price of daiginjo when they have their sushi. Recommendation? Well, oh, I think if you like, you know, if you like the fruity sake, then you can go for it. But I think you got to try it. Uh, but, you know, the regular sake, which doesn't really polish the rice that much, uh, you should go for junmai. Junmai means pure rice. So they they just they just make the, the sake purely from the, you know, fermented alcohol from from rice and that that's also good more dry compared to uh, daiginjo but it's, it's also good so you know if you don't, don't want to pay up the price then you can always go for junmai junmai sake yeah or you can also go for uh, shochu it's like korean soju right quite similar um but you can you can mix it with green tea you can mix it with water and it's just a nice refreshing drink to have um, with your with your meal, and then you you know you're moving on gradually to the different dishes that the chef gives you, and then you can you can talk to the chef, you can talk to your your friend that you're with or your date, and then, uh, so they don't give you ginger yet, so don't ask for ginger yet, okay? And 
ginger, they usually give you with the sushi. And so eventually, at the end of your meal, they start giving you the, the fish and rice kind of sushi. And they give you one by one. And eventually, uh, they ask you if you want more. That means the, the course has finished. And then you can ask for whichever, uh, you know, sushi, a piece of, you can, you know, whichever kind of fish that you want to eat more of. And they might even give you uh, like the rolls with the seaweed wrapped around the fish. And then that's that's that. And then after that, that's the end of your meal, and that's that's how you finish uh, eating the sushi. And when you want, uh, if you want, they usually can do a souvenir for your families, so they can make you like a really thick roll with a whole bunch of different things inside. Uh, you know, things such as um, such as eggs, some uh, pickled vegetables, some veg cucumbers some uh, fish flakes, etc., and make a really thick roll. Uh, it's called futomaki, and you can usually take it home as a souvenir. So that's, that's, that's the full experience of sushi. And if you want to eat it for lunch the following day, you can also do so. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all the social, um, you know, unwritten rules. But when you eat the sushi, uh, you can either eat it with chopsticks or with, uh, with your hands. But don't use so much. You can't. You well, you you don't use so much um, soy sauce, and you also dip the fish upside down. So you're only dipping the fish, not so much the rice, because the rice gets soaked, and it also breaks when it when it's touched by the by the soy sauce. So you just dip the fish a little bit, and then you put it in your mouth. Try to do it in one bite. Uh, to not to miss any flavor, not to break the rice, but that's that's how you eat sushi. So I'm still trying to understand why you send this to me, because <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a certain story to tell and the suspicion as to why you sent this to me. But I'm trying to understand, like, because I've had the sushi experience, I've had the omakase experience now. Yeah. But yeah, wanted to know like why why did you send this to me specifically? Oh no, it's just, it was just like. I was just thinking, hey, our first episode, what, uh, what's like the most like stereotypical or like to understand? Got it. Yeah. Got and, uh, it. You know, something related to Japan. I was just, I was just trying hard to think about the topics <laughs> to discuss and something related to Japan. Oh, sushi, everyone knows. So here's the story as to like why yeah. I think, um, why I thought you sent this, this article to me. Mm-hmm. Because the first time, like when I first had sushi, I always thought when you ate sushi, you use the damn chopstick that's next to you, right? And hmm. when you eat your sushi, you take the chopstick out and you open it and then you pick up the sushi with the chopstick and you eat it. And then the first time I had hmm. sushi with you in Japan, yeah. right? Not in yeah. Canada because we had sushi together in Canada, right? But when I was hmm. in Japan and we had sushi together with your family, which was they were gracious enough to have me and, and offer me sushi, which I'm, this, t- till today was like a really great experience. Um uh, the first thing you said to me was, yeah. "Don't eat sushi with your chopsticks. Use your damn hand, like a like a, like a, like a normal person." And I was just like so puzzled because I was like, "Wait, why? Like, why am I using my bare hands? That's gross. That's not like something, you know." It's like, but that's how you do it in Japan, right? And so that yeah. was my yeah. first 
like actual understanding of like oh when you eat sushi they give you a towel for a reason to clean your hands that's the reason oh, yeah, why that's there right it's yeah. not for you to yeah. wash your hands right it's actually meant for you to have your hands clean enough so that you can pick your up the sushi with your bare hands yeah. and then dip mm-hmm. it fish first not rice first into the soy sauce mm-hmm. by a little bit so you don't ruin the flavor and you don't get that taste of like the wood of the chopstick or yeah. the metallic taste if it's a metal chopstick um in your mouth when you eat it because you want the full flavor profile of the sushi right so that's what i thought that was the reason why i thought you sent this to me because you're like oh, okay you uncultured you know <laughs> piece of shit <laughs> here's how you really eat sushi yeah. <laughs> i know how to eat sushi okay you bastard yeah, no. <laughs> but that's why i thought that was the reason why i thought you sent this to me because obviously you're the one that taught me how to eat sushi appropriately because obviously me being in the complete imbecile yeah. in canada yeah. my whole life i thought when you were eating sushi you would use the damn chopstick that's next to you to eat that, right? Mm. And now I know today mm. um, you don't do that, right? You use your hands. Um, and to this day, if I do go to a nice restaurant, I will eat with my hand mm-hmm. if it's like a high-end sushi restaurant. Yeah. But if it's like mm. the run-of-the-mill off the corner, like yeah. <laughs> like massive yeah. sushi profile, not like omakase or anything like professional, I'll still yeah. use the chopstick because like I don't know how clean the sushi is. I don't know yeah. how well it's prepared. So I will still use the chopstick um, in Canada, but definitely when I am overseas in a professional sushi place um, or even like a, a local professional sushi place in Canada, I will use my hand mm-hmm. to eat the sushi to this day. So, mm-hmm. so <laughs> but that that's why I, I thought you were like, uh, you were trying to, uh, you know, <laughs> remind me that, <laughs> that I don't know how to eat sushi properly. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, oh, and one, one other tidbit no, here is uh, yeah. maybe for the folks here yeah. that if you're not, you know, used to Asian culture or you have a, a chopstick, typically the chopsticks you get would be wooden. Um, do not rub your chopsticks together. Please don't do that. It's usually a sign to the chef or the establishment that... Uh, you're effectively telling them that they can't afford to provide you with good enough chopsticks and it's really offensive um to them um right. mm, is that is that is that is that the chinese culture or it's it's a, a it's a really it, it's a culture that uh is i I've, I've run into in both japan and in various like asian restaurants they will some of them will mm-hmm. be a little bit offended if you like take it out mm-hmm. and you rub them together uh, because they think like, oh, we didn't provide you good enough chopsticks. I mean, to be mm-hmm. fair, if, you know, the chopstick literally is like the wood is sticking out everywhere and it's a literal hazard to your health, <laughs> then, then yeah. you know, probably you should. You should. Yeah. But like if, if it's... Actually, in many cases, yeah. Yeah, yeah but if it's not, if it's not bad together, and it, all yeah. the like the stuff is up on the like closer to your hand it's not actually touching the food then like try not to do it it's like not it's not like yeah. nice to um it's not it's not good manners um for them mm. um but yeah i think uh that's pretty much all that we have for today uh i think uh we covered a lot of things from you know <laughs> social media how to eat sushi properly um you know why saunas today are so you know 
amazing because you know you can get high on the legal side rather Legally. than getting cannabis yeah. which is bad in japan <laughs> yeah we'll try to post yeah, every yeah week, we right? will try definitely to post every yeah. week if you like the content and you like what's happening here and obviously uh you know I, I didn't tell really everyone what i was drinking today but i was uh starting off uh this podcast today with an alcoholic beverage uh being a kokanee beer uh which is a very canadian beer uh, <laughs> but I'd start that off given that I am a Canadian, uh, but I, I do have an Asian background. Uh, and uh, I think, Koji, you are currently very hungover, uh, so you're not drinking today. So I'm still working on the leftover alcohol from last night. Um, yeah. So you won't be partaking, but in our next uh, session, we will definitely introduce what we're drinking, I think, right? Uh, mm -hmm. For that yeah, next session. For sure, and. For sure. uh, yeah, we hope to you all see you all soon and bye, have a great day.